my Govanin. Welcome to the Tolkien Lore Channel. I'm the Tolkien Geek, and I've done three previous videos on the topic of fate and free will in Tolkien's writings. I'll link to all three of them in the description below. And this is going to be the fourth and final, at least for now, because I can't think of any other really, really good ones to do, but it's such a pervasive topic I may eventually come up with another. And this is one that I'm going to do in the vein that I've done in a couple of previous videos where I've compared Tolkien to recent movies in our modern culture and how the two compare. Previously I've done the movie Megamind and how it compares with the idea of evil being monotonous and banal. And I've done one on the movie Passengers where I've kind of talked about the idea of providence. And that's kind of related to the topic of fate and free will, but this one focuses very heavily on the free will versus the luck and providence type thing that we get in Passengers, and the movie is The Adjustment Bureau. Now, The Adjustment Bureau movie is fairly far removed from the short story written by Philip K. Dick of the same name, so if you haven't seen the movie but you have read the book, let me give you a brief rundown of the plot just so you'll be a little more ready for this discussion. In the movie, Matt Damon plays uh, an up-and-coming politician who finds out that there is this group of people, and people is, they're not human, we're not exactly sure what they are, but they're basically controlling human history, making people make slightly different decisions than they otherwise would have to make sure that history runs in a particular course, and this is the Adjustment Bureau. They make minor adjustments so that things go as planned. And there's a grand designer behind the whole thing who has the plan. We never get a name. It's not specifically called God. We don't exactly know what this is supposed to be, but the idea is that whoever has the plan is the one that's kind of deciding how things are going to go, and the run-of-the-mill people making the things go the way they go are you know, stepping into human history when they need to, to, say, avoid nuclear war or other types of crises. And at one point, one of the characters even tells him, like, you know, every time we let humans try to have free will and actually do things on their own, it ends up being a disaster. You get the fall of Rome, and you get World War II, and you get this, that, and the other. So the idea it, from at least their perspective, is that it's benevolent. But it runs into a problem here because Matt Damon meets this girl, and the girl he meets at the very beginning of the movie is part of the plan. That that meeting is part of the plan. And it's supposed to like kick off his inspiration and really get him on the right track to becoming a politician that really goes places, because at the very beginning he just lost a political race. But he's never supposed to meet her again. But then Anthony Mackie, who plays what you might call his handler, uh, manages to mess up his work with Matt Damon and f manages to not make him miss a bus, and therefore he encounters this woman again, played by Emily Blunt, and they start to fall in love. And so Matt Damon, when he finds out about what's going on, uh, he finds out as a result also of Anthony Mackie missing his cue. He finds out about the Adjustment Bureau, but he also realizes that they're trying to keep him apart from her. And this is the central conflict of the story. He wants to be with her, and the Adjustment Bureau does not, because it's not part of the plan. 
So that's, you know, the the key conflict in the entire movie. I'm not going to give away too much of the resolution of the plot other than to say at the very end we get hints of the idea that the plan can be changed to accommodate people who really are like properly exercising their free will because Matt Damon comes into contact with various people higher up in the Adjustment Bureau organization. It's really kind of interesting. I mean, it's called the Adjustment Bureau, and it really does seem to operate like a bureaucracy in a lot of ways, uh, which is probably not an accident. Um, But anyway, at the end of the story, we get, you know, a happy ending for Matt Damon, and it seems to be kind of a a compromise type thing. And it's the idea that like there are some people who push their will so hard that the, whoever's, you know, got the plan on the back end is willing to accommodate them and change the plan to fit their stuff. And there's some other interesting notes that we get too about the plan that, you know, there's like old versions of it in which, they actually were supposed to be together, and then that changed. So it's really not exactly clear how the whole thing works, but the general overall point is somebody has a plan, and the Adjustment Bureau is making sure that that plan gets carried out in the right way by intervening in human history to change people's decisions. And it's not just on major stuff either. I mean, it's like minor things just to, you know... and you have to kind of do that to some extent because butterfly effect, right? One little thing could end up changing really big stuff later on. So the Adjustment Bureau, at least the movie version that I'm talking about here, we get the idea of fate or providence or whatever you want to call it being a very deterministic type of thing which operates very much in contravention of the free wills of people on earth and it's the way it's described by the people in the adjustment bureau is like you know we're just making slight changes in they don't use the term brain chemistry but that's the idea you get is they're just like tinkering with brain chemistry to slightly change the way they look at a thing and so it's like it's not so much that they're coercing people it's their influencing in them in ways that you know you couldn't at the at our level of technology it's not something we could do but whatever they have they can do that and it's like they walk in they freeze everything nobody knows they're there and they go in and they do something with people's brains and it makes them choose slightly different things than they would have otherwise so while it's not precisely a coercion of free will, it is an overriding of free will in that it's still changing what a person would have done and making it go in a different direction in order to suit the plan. Contrast this with what we've talked about in several prior videos regarding Tolkien's idea of fate and free will. And especially looking at the passage from The Nature of Middle Earth, which is what I use to kind of kick off this short little series, he discusses the fact that fate is kind of like the overall... Well, it's two things. It's the background, it's the way the world works, the rules of the universe that you 
can't really do anything about with your free will. And it's also the idea of Eru Iluvatar knows the overall scope of the story, but doesn't necessarily know how each individual character is going to play their role in advance. Um, and then, but of course, he also throws in the idea eventually of God being outside of time once the story is complete, and for God, it's kind of always complete once it gets started because he sees the whole thing, then his foreknowledge is complete. But it's not a deterministic type of fate. It's like, I know where the story wants to go, or where I want the story to go. I don't know how every little character is going to do their thing, but the story's going to end the way I want the story to end, and eventually it's all going to come within the realm of what I planned in, in this case, the music of the Ainur, the Ainur Lindale. So, there's two very significant differences in the way these stories handle the topic of fate and free will. One of them is the extent to which people have free will, and the other is the extent to which fate or adjustments really change, if they change at all, the way that humans act. And those are, you know, in a way kind of saying the same thing, but they are different. So, like I said in the Adjustment Bureau, you've got the idea of free will being something that it's like humans haven't really matured enough as a species to really start using without screwing up royally. Whereas in The Lord of the Rings and, and The Silmarillion and all these other stories, Tolkien looks at free will as that's just a given. People have free will, and they have the power to act, and it's not something that's being controlled by Eru Iluvatar or the Valar or anybody, really. Melkor Morgoth could, of course, try to control people's free will, and probably does on numerous occasions, because that's he's a bad guy and that's what he does. But the general rule is you can't coerce people's wills. That's a rule that you're supposed to follow, is you don't coerce people. The Valar can instruct, they can advise, they can do these sorts of things, but Eru, if you read through some of the other Nature of Middle-Earth stuff, it's clear that Eru Iluvatar has basically said, you can give advice and knowledge, but you cannot, you can't overbearingly either command, or you, and you also can't, like, you can't influence them in such a way that they are almost compelled, even though they're not being strictly coerced, to do what you want them to do. So if you show up, this is something that Corey Olson's been talking about in his series on the nature of Middle Earth. It's like if you show up in all your glory as a Vala, and you say, you know, I think what you ought to do is come to Valinor, the elves are going to look at that and go, well, you seem mighty powerful and mighty wise. Maybe we ought to listen to you. You know, it's like really hard to refuse that without being prideful. So the idea is the Valar are supposed to take a very hands-off role. And this is very much in contrast to the way the Adjustment Bureau operates because the Adjustment Bureau literally, one of the first scenes that we see them doing anything in is they interrupt a business meeting where Matt Damon works after his loss in an election, and they are tinkering with people's brains to alter the kinds of decisions that they're going to make in this business meeting. And, I mean, it seems like a minor point, 
And a lot of the things that they do seem like minor points. And like what Anthony Mackie is supposed to be doing in the very beginning to make Matt Damon miss his bus is like make him spill his coffee so that he goes back and changes his shirt and doesn't get on the same bus as Emily Blunt's character. So, I mean, it goes down to really tiny details, but it misses or makes people miss things or do things different or, you know, that it have huge effects later on. And it's really interesting to compare this to Tolkien's example of, you know, the person who meets his enemy. He's like, you know, the person who went out that day and took a route wasn't really exercising much free will in the route. He avoided the marsh because you're going to avoid the marsh. You don't want to go in the marsh. You know, that's not really an exercise of free will. And so in that sense, like, the making Matt Damon spill his coffee is not really affecting his free will either. Because that's just one of those things like if I spill coffee on my shirt and I'm still right next to home and I'm going to, you know, my job, I'm just going to go back in and change my shirt real quick. So that's not really a free will decision because it's just like an automatic. It's a habit. It's a, you know, something like that. But the Adjustment Bureau does operate on a level which is very much more, if again, not coercive, at least manipulative of free will. So they interrupt this business meeting and change what they're going to do. And Matt Damon even kind of picks up on this because he like had a conversation with one of the people before the Adjustment Bureau stepped in. And then after that whole episode, they're talking about a totally different thing. And they, it's like they don't even realize they changed their mind. And it's Matt Damon, of course, as an outside observer who now realizes what's going on. is like, this is kind of freaky. So... That's the kind of thing that would never happen in Tolkien's world. Morgoth could try to compel people to do things, but even that's not strictly possible. He can only threaten them with, you know, pain, suffering, and whatever else. He can't ever actually coerce anybody's will, nor can he step inside their brain and tinker with it and make them do things they don't want to do. The worst he can do is things like he does to Hurin, where he shows Hurin what he wants Hurin to see in a way that he wants him to see it so as to manipulate his perception of events and therefore manipulate what Hurin will eventually do when he lets him loose, which leads, you know, ultimately to the downfall of Doriath and other bad things. But even then, he's not manipulating his actual thought process directly. He's only manipulating the inputs which he receives and on which Hurin bases his decisions. So it's still another step removed. The Adjustment Bureau is very much in there doing really crazy things. And you have to think that at some level, you know, depending on what the person making the decision is and what the decision is and the degree of uh, the strength of the the desire or the will to do the thing, you got to think that at some level they have to do some like serious coercive changes to the mind of whoever they're doing it to, right? So, you know, you take Hitler, you know, if they had stepped in and stopped Hitler, they would have had to like seriously change his brain chemistry to get him to not engage in all the things that led to World War II, say. So, there's a very different way in which the the whole fate and and Adjustment Bureau process operates. Fate is just kind of like the background tapestry against which all of the characters are playing out their thing, whereas in 
the adjustment bureau, the plan is like it goes down to the minutest details to make sure that the plan happens and that affects what everybody does. We're going to make you spill your coffee this day. We're going to make you think this way about this, you know, business decision. We're going to just down to really tiny details. Whereas fate in Middle Earth is not operating like that at all. So the fate and free will interplay is very different. And of course it makes for very different stories. The fate and free will interplay in The Lord of the Rings and you know, the other stories in Middle-earth, which I've kind of talked about in my previous videos, show how the fate aspect can be leading you to a conclusion that Eru Iluvatar wants to achieve, the destruction of the ring, you know, whatever it may be, but it's still up to the individual to choose the right things to make it happen in the best way. Now, is the story going to end the way that Iluvatar wants it to end Regardless, yes. But is it going to end that way in the way that Iluvatar would like it to end? Maybe not. You know, if Bilbo hadn't decided to voluntarily give up the ring to Frodo, we would have had a very different kind of story. And some of that comes down to, you know, the free will choice of Bilbo. A lot of things come down to free will choices. There is providence that steps in and leads certain things to happen, like Bilbo finding the ring in the first place and having the eagles intervene when they need to in order to help win the Battle of the Five Armies or, you know, different things like that. But it's never on the level of coercing anybody's will. It's always in the way of kind of setting up the stage so that the actors can do what they're supposed to do and by supposed to do, I mean not according to the plan, but rather what they ought to do in, in a moral or ethical sense. So, you know, the fate sets up the stage, and then the actors go out, and they have to choose whether to play their role correctly or not. And, you know, the heroes, of course, do play their role correctly. Some people don't, like Saruman. Saruman goes off the rails, right? Denethor goes off the rails, Lots of characters don't meet up to their full potential and thus, you know, come to worse ends than maybe they would have otherwise. Denethor would not have committed suicide if he hadn't despaired and effectively lost his mind. And that would have been good for everybody. And if he had survived and been humble enough to let Aragorn become king, that would have been even better because Denethor wouldn't have died, Faramir wouldn't have had a crummy father, you know, I mean, lots of different things, right? So, free will plays a role, and it's not even necessarily the case that the ring would have had to have been destroyed by any possible means, so long as Sauron's victory was not so complete that it did not subvert the ultimate plan for Arda, or Ea. You know, I mean, once if the ultimate plan for Ea is still potentially achievable... Sauron could potentially come out victorious, and that wouldn't ruin the plan, so to speak. Whereas in the Adjustment Bureau, it's very much a different kind of interplay. The plan is the overriding concern at all times. And free will is really kind of like, you know, we let you, we let you humans try that a couple times. Didn't work out so good. We're not going to let you try it again for a while. Uh, and so free will is not really even an option on the table, except apparently for a handful of people who are, you know, really trying to 
push for their own desired ends like Matt Damon. And the one thing that I will say, it's an interesting thing to look at because the interplay is the interplay of fate and free will in adjustment bureau is very much on the level of nobody gets to have free will unless they really, really push for it and they use it properly. That's kind of the idea you get, but it's not, it's not as tight and, and consistent as you might like it to be in adjustment bureau because then you have the problem of if, if the allowance of the action of free will is if that's permitted only because you know you individually are a halfway decent person and therefore your exercise of free will is acceptable and you're just pushing really hard um and this is another point I should have mentioned too but I wasn't thinking about it but the one of the things about the plan is the more something diverges from the plan the closer it gets to like a crisis point of there's too many things wrong to fix. So by Matt Damon going against the plan over and over and over again, there end up being a lot of changes that are causing ripple effects throughout the rest of the plan, which may or may not cause huge problems. And the more you do that, eventually it becomes a really big problem that just has to be stopped, period. So... There's this idea there that it's like as long as you're not doing something absolutely horrible, you know, you could be, you know, could you could exercise your own free will. Matt Damon's character isn't going to do like the fall of Rome or World War II, so ah, we'll let him have free will and it's okay. But the problem here, and this is kind of the whole thing, right? This is this is where the free will aspect really gets tricky. And you have to be careful with your definition of what free will is. Tolkien at least comes up with a definition that he works with with the Marsh example, right? If it's a conscious purpose that you're pursuing, then we can call that a free choice. Just avoiding a Marsh because that's the easiest thing to do, that's not really a free will choice. So it's not really clear how many times the Adjustment Bureau is affecting free will versus just everyday choices. Like I said, the coffee example, right? The coffee example is a good one because it shows that they don't always have to bend your free will or your thought process in order to get you to do something different. I mean, it would be like if I came along and just shoved you and made you spill your coffee. That would be the same result as if Anthony Mackie just snapped his fingers and made the coffee plop, which is kind of what he does after he gets in the bus. So at that level... It's not clear how often they're actually interfering with free will per se. They're just interfering with the flowchart of choices made by people. But like I said earlier, we have to assume at some level they are really just reversing or controlling people's free will actions. And so the interplay gets interesting because it's not clear where that line really lies in the Adjustment Bureau story. And you could make the argument that if a person like Matt Damon is allowed to have his free will because he's not going to do anything that's completely bonkers and wreck history for the next thousand years, if you know Matt Damon is allowed to have free will because of that, is it really free will? And this comes down to... 
you know, you could get into a deep theological argument here because theologians have talked about the idea of free will and especially its connection to theodicy, which is the the study or attempt to come up with a an argument about the goodness of God in a evil world, right? If there's so much evil in the world, how can God be good? And free will plays a huge role in a lot of those kinds of arguments. And one of the kinds of arguments that you can get into there is, you know, the the idea that people have free will means that there is the possibility of evil. And free will has to be a given because without free will, we're all just robots. And what satisfaction does God get out of robots? Robots can't love they can't, you know, do anything meaningful. They can only do what God makes them do as a puppet master, which is what Eru tells Aule when he creates the dwarves, right? So if you grant that, you know, one of the things that humans need to be able to do is to love and to, you know, have real relationships and things like that, free will must be part of that recipe. This is the argument. And so if free will has to be part of the recipe, evil has to be a potential outcome. So the idea would be then if God simply undoes everything that a human might do that's evil, well, is it really is he really allowing free will anymore? That's that's not really free will at some level because yeah, you might choose it, but then the effects of it don't occur and everything gets undone, so is it really free? Or is it just, I let it happen because I was okay with it, and therefore it's just, like, you have kind of a range of options, but not really free will because you're not allowed certain other options. Those are still off the table, and if you do those, then I'm going to step in and enforce the plan. So that's an area where, depending on your approach to this philosophical, this deeply philosophical issue of free will, you might look at the Adjustment Bureau and go, does Matt Damon really have free will at the end of this story? Or is he just being accommodated with, you know what, your decisions are still within the acceptable range, and therefore I'm not going to be as tight on the reins with you as I am on, you know, other people. So, you know, you end up with this kind of philosophical quandary at the end of the story, like I said, depending on which version of free will you you look at, and you have to go, hmm, did free will actually end up being granted to Matt Damon, or did they just decide there's a certain part of the plan that's, you know, acceptable to waive, you know, just let it go, and therefore, you know, we can get done what we want to get done without this particular part of the plan. So, and we'll let him do what he wants on, you know, a few things. That way, it doesn't create bigger ripple effects in the larger plan. So, it's really interesting to look at that because it's a very deep contrast to the Tolkienian view. Because the Tolkienian view, of course, is free will is the given. In the Adjustment Bureau, the plan is ultimately the given, and it's how much free will is going to be permitted within the context of that plan. Tolkien's is a much more fate and free will are intertwined and very much, if not exactly cooperative, they are at least 
parallel to each other in the sense that they don't conflict ultimately because the idea is that Iluvatar is going to bring the music to the final note one way or another but within the frame of that you know that great theme that he propounds humans and elves and other actors with free will have free reign to do what they're going to do because the overall overall arch of the story has already kind of been laid out in a way that isn't changeable by free will to begin with. So it's like there's a... Both stories have a plan, but Iluvatar's plan is not one that can be screwed up by free will, and therefore free will just works within the framework of that, whereas in, in the Adjustment Bureau, the plan is always in tension with the idea of actors having free will. So it's a very different outlook and it's a very different way of looking at the idea of, you know, how much does free will really affect the future? How much free will do we really have? And all these kinds of things. And I mean, you could go into this topic for hours and hours probably because there's, like I said, I mean, there's like deep theological arguments about this kind of thing. There's just philosophical arguments, scientific arguments about free will. There's tons of discussion that you could have about free will generally and specifically in the way that these two stories, and when I say these two stories, I mean like Tolkien wrote many stories, but overall, if we count Middle Earth as one story, you know, the, the two approaches to this idea are so different. And, you know, I like both of them. They both have really interesting thought-provoking elements to them. Now, if I was going to pick one or the other, I'd pick Tolkien's, because like I said, the Adjustment Bureau does have that little caveat in the back of the mind there, which is, does Matt Damon really have free will, or has he just been given slightly more latitude to act than the average Blow Joe in the story? And is it, you know, does does that mean that he's really acting freely, or is he just, you know, he's been given a handful of extra options that don't violate the plan? Tolkien's has a little bit of a caveat, too, because then you have to wonder about why is it that the overall arch of the story can't really be affected by free will? And that's a topic that Tolkien never really gets into in detail. And again, there we get into theology, because that's, you know, that's probably where you enter into the realm of, you know, Tolkien has in mind theologians and, and things within his own Catholic tradition who have their own views of how God is bringing about the ultimate purpose of the universe with the combined with the fact that there is free will, you know, for human beings. And that's, you know, a, a totally separate topic. So there's a little bit of a caveat there with Tolkien as well, but I find it slightly less of a caveat than the Adjustment Bureau one. And so it's, you know, like the the Adjustment Bureau caveat kind of goes almost to the heart of the question, whereas Tolkien's is slightly more to the periphery, and it, you know, it could potentially be a problem, but there might be perfectly good ways in which you could work it out, you know, which wouldn't involve kind of undercutting the very idea of free will itself. That said, both of them are very interesting, both of them are very thought-provoking, and they give you something kind of to work with and really munch on in your mind with 
the ideas of free will and how much we have and to the, the, what ex, to what extent the world is going along a path regardless of what we do. So it's a really interesting comparison, and I thought it would be a, a good way to kind of wrap up this short series that I've been doing on fate and free will. So if you liked it, please do give it a thumbs up, share it around. Uh, if you've got any additional thoughts on this topic and maybe other movies that might kind of play a similar kind of theme, put those in the comments below as well. You can also find me on Rumble and Odyssey, and I have podcast versions. Give me a subscribe and hit that bell icon to catch all my future content on YouTube. And, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at JRRTLore for occasional Tolkien-related trivia questions. And if you want to support me, you can head over to Patreon. Until the next time, I'm the Tolkien Geek, signing out for the Tolkien Lore Channel. Namariye.